you're listening to this, you probably play in a band or at least did at one point. Probably not an unfair generalization to make. So where do you practice? If you're lucky, you rehearse in your basement or your garage, some room in your home or possibly your parents' home. I had that luxury for many years, but now I live in a one-bedroom apartment that I share in one of the most expensive cities in North America, so even if I didn't have neighbors on either side of and underneath me, say I could make all the noise I wanted without a landlord, superintendent, or cops knocking on my door, I realistically couldn't fit two amps and a drum set in the shoebox if my life depended on it. So what I and others like me do depend on instead is commercial rehearsal facilities. These are often converted storage lockers or rehabilitated industrial buildings, but they can also be their own little cultural hub, places of expression for not only snotty punk bands, but also performance artists, craftspeople, all types of outsiders that maybe can't get heads through the door at your bog-standard rock club or even your DIY venue in the same neighborhood, but whose creative output is no less important. And such is the reputation of the EMF building just across the river from me here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Or at least it was a complex filled with local and touring artists and storied recording studios until it was purchased and shut down recently. The circumstances of its closure may seem unique on the surface, but to me, deep down this is just another shining example of the way that economic realities like the luxury condofication of urban centers and predatory real estate speculation can make their way into our lives as creative types. Every once in a while, the invisible hand of the free market will reach out and sucker punch you. So joining me to talk about all of this is Ben Simon, a former EMF tenant himself and a board member of the Cambridge Artists Coalition, an activist group trying, perhaps in vain at this point, to save their space. It's a story that I think needs to be heard, one that contains many valuable lessons for you, the paid patron of a program like this one, from respecting the autonomy of other performers to just the transient nature of institutions with artistic missions and simply valuing what you have while you have it. Anyway, here's the conversation I had with Ben. Stick around to the end if you're so moved to find out how you can help his cause. Enjoy. You were obviously a tenant. How long were you there? I've never calculated the exact number of years, but something like five, six... Five or six years. Years, something like that, yeah. Would you say that there was a sense of community there prior to the eviction? Because, like, I have a space in Charlestown. I tried to get a space in EMF when I first moved to the city, and it was, like, I was waitlisted. But, you know, when I'm walking around my practice rooms, uh, no one says what's up in the hallway, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't met any friends or collaborators. So was that there prior to this, or did was it the impending eviction that kind of galvanized people around something? I, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, there were certainly people who who had more of a sort of like knit community, probably somewhat insulated within the whole building. Um, it wasn't as though, as though everyone knew everyone and said hi in the hall, but... Well, there's um, there obviously was like some w- turnover, right? That as well, yeah. Um, but WEMF Radio, I think, kind of had a crew of people um, around it. They eventually got pushed out before we were all evicted. Mm. Um, but yeah. You know, New Alliance is right, kind of a fixture right. there, too. There's, there's definitely, there has definitely been, like, communities within the EMF community that perhaps didn't, like, include the entire the entire building. But I wasn't, like really viewing it as a community space. 
more just like something I needed for my band. But yeah, my, my experience was like, this was a catalyst to like becoming part of a community and push, pushing back um, a bit of my own personal history. I, I grew up in a rent controlled building in, in Porter Square in Cambridge. And after rent control was abolished, you know, it was just a matter of time before our building was sold to a developer. And that indeed happened in the late nineties and we were all evicted, resettled in the Midwest, um, and wow. I came back as an adult, and I'm just, you know, sort of more or less waiting to be priced out, um, or <laughs> yeah. have the same thing happen to me again. Um, so this happening and seeing people starting to organize and fight back really meant a lot to me, and it, it, it allowed me to feel like I was doing something to fight something that's already I've already dealt with. <laughs> so. Does the Cambridge Artists Coalition, does that rise out of this, or was that pre-existing? It was not pre-existing, um, yeah. the So that's like part of the organizing effort? Right, yeah. The group was formed to sort of organize the, the tenants and see what we could do to you know, preserve it as, a, as an art space, um, and we decided to give ourselves the name Cambridge Artists Coalition. How many members is that, and compared to how many tenants were there at the time of the eviction notice going up? Um, there were over 200 people, um, artists, musicians in the building. Um, as far as our group membership, it's, it's difficult to say precisely. Um, the first few meetings we had were, you know, around, I don't know, 30 to 50 people. Um, but you know, as, as time went on, it's sort of like been a core group of people that have like stayed committed. Um, we have a board that I'm on which is right now six people. We encourage you know more people to get involved and, and join the group. You don't have to necessarily come to meetings to be part of the group. Sure, Yeah. sure. So this building's purchased in 2016 by this guy, John DiGiovanni, mm-hmm. who is operating as some kind of you know property management developing company, but he's also president of Harvard Square Business Association. We'll get to that later. Yes. Um, when these eviction notices go up, are there any grounds cited, or is it just like, this is what I'm doing, see ya? When I first heard we were getting evicted, I wasn't given any reason. I, It seemed like the person who had received that notice hadn't been given any reason, but I'm also told that some people initially got safety as being the concern that, you know, the building wasn't up to code, et cetera, and we were all, you know, in danger, so we had to, to leave the building. However... You know, people that formed the group went to the fire department and asked if the building was up to code, and they said it always passed inspection. There was nothing wrong with it. When this news starts going around, do people start to jump ship immediately? Like, because the story here obviously is the steely resolve of the people who stuck around and fighting to the bitter end, including possibly at the time of this recording, people who are still occupying the space. Is that still happening? That is still happening, yeah. Fuck yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's so awesome. It's very cool. Um, so do a lot of people just try to jump the gun? And I, I got the impression that there were some bands that, yeah, moved pretty soon after they knew that we were going to have to leave. Um, yeah, probably some of them were thinking they'd beat the rush. I mean, it's a tough thing to tie your fate to if you just need to keep being a band and keep yeah. rehearsing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We had our initial eviction date, and then we got a, a one-month extension after going to City Hall and seemed to have you know the city you know concerned about our plight and wanted to do something and were, and they were able to negotiate with the landlord to give us an extra month. Um, but I think that that last month we were probably something like around for the most of the month, probably something like around half capacity and then even less yeah. towards the end Dwindling, of that month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And somebody posted something about going into public records and finding John DiGiovanni's 
donations to various members of Cambridge City Council. Yes. Does this kind of explain maybe the city's resistance to really pushing, like putting pressure on to buy it from him? Um, Because that was a tactic. That was kind of the initial tactic of maybe this. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can... You can draw conclusions from seeing the the list of donations um, and who received what. We're not sure. We 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 are concerned for, for sure that like um, the city's initial interest and then eventual backing away might have had something to do with John DiGiovanni's influence, financial and otherwise. Um, President of Harvard, he's a very powerful man. Not nothing. And it's just, it seems very suspicious to us that, you know, the building had passed code and then suddenly was kind of retroactively determined to be a death trap as soon as he wants everyone out. And is that the language used, death trap, too? Um, I don't know that if he he ever exactly used that phrase, but he he said it's unsafe for for anyone to be in in his current condition, which makes us very confused why he had us in there and was collecting rent. And the city also justified their resistance by saying like, oh, this would need a huge investment on our part, right? Right. They, they were saying, I guess their, their, their thing was like, it's up to code, but if we were to buy it, it has to be like even better than up to code. Yeah. You know, it has to be like really, really top notch. Yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. It, it, we were concerned that it might've been a, you know, a diplomatic way for them to backpedal out of coming to our rescue. Right. Um, yeah, more or less. So, uh, tell me about the genesis of the idea of protesting the um, Make Music event. So I should maybe, the background is that Harvard Square Business Association puts on a festival, kind of just like an outdoor music and arts festival every year called uh, Make Music or Fête de la Musique. Yeah. <laughs> Very pretentious. Yeah. Um, well, it, it was started in France. It's actually an international event. Um, Harvard Square Business Association just manages the Cambridge, local, okay. the local one. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll uh, be a little bit more charitable in that <laughs> in the edit. Um, yeah. So w- where does the idea come from to protest this right. Make Music event in Harvard Square? So, so the structure of, of the thing, um, independent of the Harvard Square Business Association's running it, is that, I guess, musicians are not compensated. Maybe in other cities they are, but in, in Cambridge they never have been. And we just thought it was especially egregious and, uh, you know, insulting for John DiGiovanni to evict all of these musicians in what it was, as far as I know, like the only affordable practice space in Cambridge, claimed to be a patron of the arts, claimed to be concerned about community and art, and then a couple of weeks later asked those same people to play for free so that his businesses, the businesses in his business association can make a bunch of money from the people coming in. Patron of the arts and that capacity certainly seems to mean like art that you can kind of line your pockets with a little bit. And so leading up to this protest, Giovanni agrees to a meeting. Are right. you, were you at this meeting? So there were two meetings. One was with the mayor, um, uh, Mike Connolly, who was also there, state rep. Yeah. Mike Connolly, who's been yeah, really a great ally. Um, and been one of the greats. Yeah. And then a couple of people that were running businesses from in, in EMF um, recording studios and had kind of different concerns had you know spent a lot more money or invested a lot of money in their spaces than than the musician tenants and yeah apparently that meeting got a little heated at points um so i I wasn't at the first meeting in city hall so i can't um one thing i can describe at the first meeting is that we we initially came with um somebody who's been giving us free legal counsel and as at the beginning of that meeting as soon as he identified himself as a lawyer 
John Di Giovanni said, this meeting is not going to continue if he's still here. So he had to leave before we could proceed. But during that meeting, John Glancy, who is more or less the guy who got this whole thing started, the uh, CAC group, uh, asked John DiGiovanni if he'd be willing to meet again the next day with some people from the board of CAC, and he agreed. Okay. Which is sort of surprisingly. But um, yeah, so we, we had uh, we had a meeting at Charlie's Kitchen, Harvard Square, <laughs> and he you know offered us beers. I think only one of us accepted that beer. Oh, mm. and then another guy got a, a like a sprite or something. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was a it was a strange meeting. Um, Basically, though, the Charlie's Kitchen meeting sounds like a bit of an olive branch. Yeah, yeah, p- perhaps. Um, it, it was not. It wasn't an accident that he refused to meet us until after we were already evicted. You know, like oh, we really yeah. have. Yeah, the silence was deafening. Yes, yes. Um, he completely refused to meet with us, and now you know. And then after we were evicted, he's finally willing to come to the table when we really have very little to gain um, that he wouldn't be willing to give us. Um, I think he was probably hoping to see what he could do to convince us, maybe, or persuade us not to have. The protest. He actually, <laughs> he actually said during a meeting at the meeting at Charlie's Kitchen that he's like, "Oh no, I believe in democracy. You guys should do whatever you want, but you know this but. is this is totally misguided, and like you're and you're conflating all these things, and you don't really understand the way the world works. Um, and if you know, if you really want to know the truth, this is make this protest is going to make me even less likely, you know, to want to play ball with you guys. They're like to do what you're asking for. <laughs> well, I mean." What are you supposed to do? Your hands are kind of tied. I, I mean, it, uh, in the perfect world, it wouldn't rely on you know private developers to keep our communities intact. Did he, at any point has he made his intentions with the building clear, or is it just kind of a foregone conclusion that it's going to be a luxury condo? Um, he at least is making it seem as though he has no definite plans right now for the building. He's. Um, you know, he said he's intending to to lease it to, to somebody who has a plan for it, but that, you know, he he's open to any economically viable project that should come come his so way. So ransom, basically. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... mean I, I, from reading from this uh, Cambridge Day article about it, uh, Mark Levy is the author here, uh, he says, did Giovanni made clear he has investors and, quote, has to do something financially viable? Is any kind of optimism that is gleaned any kind of olive leaf that is extended by having this meeting is that just totally invalidated by this idea like well the bottom line is the thing it's it's tricky because i mean he at least you know professed to be willing to have it continue to be something like emf provided you know that the x y and z were, were such that it was good for him yeah we said like would you be willing to if we could find a nonprofit to be involved, perhaps, or you know, some we would get money to get the building up to code so that it could continue to have the function it's had as a as a rehearsal space. Um, yeah, he's like, yeah, as long as as long as uh, as long as, as, long as, as the number paid, as long as the numbers work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it allows him. I mean, he can he obviously he can just say that you know it doesn't have to it can be completely insincere, but. Uh, he had a lot of blame <laughs> sure. to to uh, put on pretty much every party concerned in this matter, except for himself. He yeah. he said, you know, the tenants are at fault here. The city is at fault. The previous landlord is at fault. 
the previous manager of, of the Sound Museum who operated an EMF before he bought it. All these parties are at fault, but he is entirely not at fault. But he um, had to buy the place, so... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he didn't say this precisely, but it's probably true that, you know, if he didn't buy it, someone was going to buy it, and that someone was going to want to do something more profitable than what it was currently being used as um, yeah, that's one with it. it. Well, that's true. The thing that I really want, and, and I think, yeah, the, the group generally wants to kind of promote is this is the idea that it shouldn't just be a handful of wealthy developers that completely control the shape of our cities and like get to make the call about what kind of buildings what kind of businesses go in to our cities and um, yeah why should they get to decide yeah uh, like why should you know when the ultimate incentive is just to go for what enriches them personally right and i have a you know it's it's very cool to me that you have mike Connolly on your side uh, a representative and you know, i have a quote from him here from the protest where he says you know what good is Central Square's cultural district designation if the 99% of us who want to enjoy it can't afford to live or play in that community? So did a lot of the folks that attended either of the two meetings, were they put off in any way from participating in the protest? Or The, the second one, certainly not. Um, the first one, I can't say. The, the people that own the studios who were there... Um, <laughs> they they didn't code the protest, so it's possible that some, the, the way the meeting went had that effect to them. But hmm. it's been a couple of days since that action, and uh, De Giovanni was conspicuously absent. Has anyone heard from him since then? Has he put out any? Not that I know of. No. Um, after the um, the main protest or and and rally was done, we marched past Trinity. Um, the Trinity Building on Church Street and posted a list of demands on his door, chanted a uh, pretty humorous chant, I think, <laughs> outside his uh, outside his door, and marched on to Cambridge Common. Were those demands composed by the board or by the members of CAC? Yeah, uh, I don't know that we ever really officially agreed on on them in any in any sort of official way, but there there were ones that we were talking about and they were bouncing around for a while. Um it's kind of things that we the core things that we've been fighting for this whole time, you know, that he he sell the building to the city or or some nonprofit that can maintain it as a affordable art space, um, or lease it possibly. Um, I think the term we use is sell. Um, that he preserve it as an art space in some in some manner. And uh, also I think on there was that he refund us a year's worth of rent, all of the tenants for having collecting rent in what he termed an unsafe building. Yeah, um, that seems... And and I think lastly was if he does not do these things that he should step down from the Harvest Square Business Association because he's not committed to its tenants or its core uh, you know, values. And you had a big turnout, it seems like. On yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a good turnout. Somewhere between 150 and 200 people, I think, came out. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, it was the you know the biggest stage area of the of the event. Um, you know, previous years, I think there were twice as many stages and twice as many bands, but a lot of bands dropped out in solidarity with us. Um, and that that you know, sort of like the the core stage area in front of you know in Brattle Square. Um, you know, in front of Crema Cafe and stuff like that. Um, 
all the bands of that stage area dropped out and the person running the stage offered it to us. Wow. So it's amazing. Yeah. Um, we, I, from my perspective, yeah, had the, the biggest, well, best attended, you know, event going on in that festival. And what I appreciated about, from what I read about it was that there wasn't any really uh, vocal discouraging anyone to play. It was just like, you know, I don't want to deprive you of your autonomy to, to gig, right? Like it's about the music ultimately at the end of the day. But you know, if you want to sing protest songs, if you want to turn the mic over to an EMF member or something like that. Right. We, We definitely very deliberately tried not to be divisive and make it seem like, you know, we were against any musicians who chose to play. There were some people on Facebook who like describe musicians that refused to drop out as scabs. And a lot of people disingenuously tried to, you know, say, Oh, that this is what this movement's about. But no, we, we never endorsed that. And we were very, try to be very upfront about the fact that we were totally fine with anyone choosing not to be part of our protest, not to, you know, to just continue to play as they would. I mean, it's a very, yeah, it's, it's a cut, <laughs> it's a tough world, the world that the music occupies, and I totally understand, you know, not wanting to pass up the opportunity to have a, a gig. Absolutely. Now that that has happened, what's what's next? Like, what do you do moving forward to continue the push? Is there is there another big action planned? How can people help? We definitely want to have another big action. Um, well, momentum is still still strong. Uh, we also have potentially a a court date coming up for some of the people that are still occupying their space in EMF. So we, we have, we do have a GoFundMe. Um, anything you give to that, you know, we'd be using towards potentially legal fees, um, lawyer fees, um, for that court date, um, and planning future actions to yeah elevate this and similar issues. Personally, what I, I would really like to go forward or do going forward would be sort of to, to broaden our anti-displacement and anti-gentrification tactics or, or strategy. And I don't want to be fighting about just like, we shouldn't have artists being displaced. We shouldn't have anyone being displaced out of their communities. And yeah. that's the kind of really bold, progressive legislation that, that needs to be getting passed. And it's criminal, I think, that state and city governments aren't on this we have to be a huge pain in the ass to both private developers who are, you know, are sort of de facto, you know, city managers, but also, yeah, definitely our, our city and state representatives who are sort of sitting on their hands and letting this, you know, the evisceration of our communities nationwide go on. So have you, have you personally found a new practice space of, of all the people who have stayed behind to occupy the space uh, or who got out early? Like how cataclysmic has the displacement been? Are people kind of floundering without a place to express themselves? Or I think it's it's really cataclysmic. Um, a lot of the bands I talked to, you know, the last few days, um, as I was moving out of my stuff, said not only did they not have a space, um, they didn't know when they would get a space. They were going to go on hiatus with their bands for a few months. Some people are talking about moving out of Boston. Like this is. This is a devastating blow to the city of Cambridge, greater, greater Boston. Um, we're losing a ton of artists because we're not recognizing that we need to give them the infrastructure they need to do what they do. Have the folks who managed the spaces at EMF set their sights on kind of relocating or trying to take over another uh, unused space that would maybe fill that gap? When we you know, first 
started getting organized and went to City Hall to bring this to their attention. Quentin Zondervan, one of the Cambridge city councilors who hasn't taken money from John DiGiovanni and has been also, you know, in addition to state rep Mike Connolly, really awesome and helpful. He wrote, I think it's called a policy order, and some of the, the items on it were, you know, negotiating for more time for us, which happened. Um, but also one of them was, you know, looking into find another space um, that could do the same thing that EMF did. You know, that still hasn't happened, but, you know, it could happen. I hope it does. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, in Cambridge, uh, I don't know. It's... Yeah. I mean, there, there are actually a fair number of just disused buildings that are kind of sitting around and, and empty lots here and there. Hmm. Um, but when, you know, the mayor and the Cambridge City Council were discussing potential future sites and they, they brought up a, at least this handful of buildings that are sort of lying vacant right now, something that kept coming up was that people are going to be angry if this doesn't become affordable housing when we have an affordable housing crisis. I mean, um, people are going to be angry if, you know, EMF doesn't become affordable housing on the same token. Right, right. So. right. And and there, I don't know. It, it's been very frustrating to me because I'll, I'll, I think a number of people in, in city government have sort of made us seem out to be like we're these little, you know, privileged musician folks that, you know, and obviously a lot of us are not at all privileged, but, um, but that we're, you know, vying for, you know, a bigger piece of the pie, but there are other people that we're just ignoring and, and sort of more or less pitting us against other marginalized groups and saying that we're being selfish and, and egotistical or whatnot. But I mean, it's, it's somewhat, Understandable. I mean, yeah, you're right. There is an affordable housing crisis. No sure, doubt. sure. But sure. this, to me, it keeps coming back to the fact that it is designated as a cultural district, sure, right? Sure, so, yeah. Like, other than bands that can, you know, basically play at any kind of two drink minimum bar or like bring heads through the door at one of the places on Mass Ave, right? Like, mm-hmm. what about the people who don't necessarily? What about people who are still artists whose work is valid and vital, right? Definitely. Um, I guess the thing that I would want to throw back <laughs> at city and, and, and state government is like, if you all would actually do your jobs, <laughs> like, and actually represent, you know, the masses, um, there wouldn't need to be, you know, different groups pitted against each other, struggling for bits of these, these handouts, because we would have policies enacted that would prevent displacement from happening at all. And that parallel organizations need to like our own need to emerge in order to put pressure on our representatives and hold them accountable um and you know or or even run their own candidates for city councils and stuff like that i mean the the richmond progressive alliance the rpa on the west coast has been a great you know example to you know similar progressive groups all over the country um and i think is a, a yeah great model to to look to um but yeah, going forward, we're, def- we're definitely hoping to endorse people for city council. Who knows, maybe even run some people from our own group. Yeah, the coalition of yeah. kind of concerned parties. Right? Yeah. Every new business that opens up is an overpriced bar or a Fuji restaurant. Our venues are closing, but we got a whole foods. Everything a tech startup employee could want. That's Ben singing under the name Toby Tantrum. To contribute toward the EMF occupier's legal fees, visit GoFundMe.com slash SaveEMF. 
You can get in touch with me at sellinoutpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at sellinoutad. Thanks for supporting the show. I'm Mike Moschetto. You're listening to Selling Out. See you next time. Christmas, I'll buy you a dictionary.